We again welcome you all here tonight to worship the Lord together. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting, uh, please come again. Glad you are of a mindset to worship God and to seek His uh, wisdom, seek His glory. Tonight's lesson is again another study from the book of Luke. If you haven't guessed, we're in a series right now. It will be in chapter 8. Chapter 8. I want to make note of things in Luke prior chapters as we lead up to the lesson. Luke introduces the gospel by saying, same fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent, Theophilus. Notice verse 4 of chapter 1. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke is a physician. He's a person of professional mindset. He wants to make sure he has this orderly fashion. And he wants us to know the exact truth of what happened. This isn't just made up stuff. These stories are real. These are facts, according to the Holy Spirit uh, through Luke. Later on, and we also see Luke is showing us who Jesus is. He wants us to understand. In uh, chapter 1, verse 32, it talks about when he's talking, when the angel's talking to, well, let me just back up there. Uh, in verse 26, Jesus was foretold uh, from Gabriel, uh, was sent from God to a city in Galilee in Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to management with Joseph. And then verse 32 says, of this baby, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So here we see that Jesus is going to be the Son of the Most High. In verse 35, he tells us, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So he's the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, and in verse 37 it says, nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. If you turn your Bible page over, let's see where we want to go here. Well, at the baptism of Jesus, chapter 3, we see that God says, My beloved Son, you are my beloved Son, you I am well pleased. There we see the revelation says, he is God's son. God himself says, my son. In chapter 4, verse 22, we see that people were amazed speaking because his message was authority. This morning, the sermon talked about the authority of Jesus. And here we spoke with authority. And in chapter 4, verse 34, we see a man with by the spirit of a demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone, what do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here again we have another sentence. Where even the demons know who Jesus is. He is the Holy One of God. It's important for our understanding. We need to also know these things. Demons understood, but they did not obey. We need to be those who understand and who do obey. 
In chapter 4, verse 41, there's more dealt with. Demons were coming out of many shouting, You are the Son of God. So we see that again, where demons are shouting who Jesus is, the Son of God. They were doing it not in belief and obedience, but out of fear, knowing his greatness. I wanted to see, I wanted to also note verse 39 before that. Jesus uh, rebuked the fever. We talked about that recently in a sermon. And the fever left. Jesus is revealed as one who has the power over ailments, over fevers. How many times have your parents wished you could do that with the children? You know, and they wake up in the night and they got a fever. You can't deal with it. Sometimes you're, you're afraid as a parent. It would be so nice to have power to say, be gone, people, and it's gone. Jesus did. We see that people were amazed at Jesus. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 5, amazement that seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish that they had taken because of what Jesus had done. In verse 24 of chapter 5, it says uh, in that text, but you, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth sins. He said, paralytic, I said, you get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. So there we see God's authority in Jesus. He can forgive sins. People were struck with astonishment. They saw remarkable things that day. So over and over again, remarkable things are happening by Jesus. And people are supposed to see who he is, that he is of God, not only of God or from God, but he is God. In chapter 6, it says there, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He can say what happens on the Sabbath. Don't question him. He has the power. He's the one who made the Sabbath. Let's just flip over to chapter 8 now. This is where we're going to be. One little section of scripture. It's kind of interesting that uh, Ethan brought this up in the Lord's Supper talk. It's a different storm story that Ethan brought up. We're going to talk about the first storm story. In chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, I'm just going to read this. Now, on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And they began to be swamped, to be in danger. They came to Jesus and woke them up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging wave. And they stopped. And it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? If they would have been listening to the earlier things, they would know who this is. Even the demon said, this is the Son of God. So this is something that the disciples are learning more and more about Jesus. They had never seen a miracle that was uh, pertaining to them personally. But this one, you know, God's power is seen in nature. It's clear evidence of his creative and omnipotent power. It talks about that in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Everybody should see the power of God in the You know, West Texas has some strong winds. Do you not agree? 
Uh, even Friday, I didn't think Friday, this last Friday was that bad. But I went to the lumber yard and I wasn't even thinking about it. I'd been outside my pickup before. I got in my pickup. Anyway, I parked my pickup in the wrong direction. So that when I opened my driver's side door, the wind, I think there was a devil in that wind or something because it just went and it took my door right out of my hand and sprung my door. And then I could not close my driver's side door. That is fun. When you have great plans of being productive in the day, and the gust of wind ruins your day just like that. Well, it didn't ruin my day, but it did test my faith a little bit. Ask Eric. We tried, and we tried to figure out, and my door was really just shoved up farther than it should be in the front fender well. I was like, well, that even happened. The power of wind is amazing. I did, we did a strap it, you know, there I am driving with this door halfway open, and the strap on it, and, you know, I got somewhere so Candy could fix it temporarily, so at least my door closes. The winds catch your attention. One more little thing I just thought of when I was sitting there. I probably even shouldn't talk about it. It's just a little story that happened to me. I was, years ago, when I was, I was fresh out of the baptistry, but I was on a of a house, we'd frame it, and I had this big sheet of Celotex stuff, kind of a foam board, and a gust of wind came, and it caught me like this, and I, you know, it was just taking me to the edge of the house. It was only, we were only like 10 feet up, but I was going backwards, and I, you know, I was going to fall off, and and these guys panicked in the storm, and I had this panic, too. It was like, no, I, I'm ready to see Jesus, but I don't know if I want it to be today. And I, I just couldn't hardly stop. And somehow, I was able to twist and let go, and the thing flew for I don't know how long. And I was right at the edge of the house. Scary. Storms can cap capture your attention. They can startle you. This is a storm that happened early or fast on, on these days. And I wanted you to notice that Jesus was the one who said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And did you notice Jesus wasn't helping them with the sailing or the, the rowing? He decided to take a nap. He was very tired, which shows the humanity of Jesus. So this is a very fascinating text to me where we see the humanity of Jesus, where he is like us. He was tired from all his previous teaching and work with people, because working with people can wear you out. And he lays in a boat. How many of you can sleep through a storm in your house, right? Could you sleep through a storm in a boat? That's crazy. I mean, I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm not a boat person. I'm very leery of boats. Um, one time I was in a boat and a whole puncture to the bottom and it was leaking. And I didn't really like that. So, you know, I'm not fond of boats. But Jesus had enough. I guess he had some faith in the disciples that they could get him to the other side. You may be saying, well, Jesus knew the storm was going to happen, and maybe he did, but no matter what, he wasn't worried about it. He lay down in the boat, and he fell fast asleep, and the storm came upon him. It, they were sailing along, and these guys, and you know it's true, a lot of these guys were fishermen who know how to handle a boat. They're not afraid. They're manly, they have strength. They know how to how to deal with a boat in the storm. This is not the first storm that ever happened to them on a lake. 
But this storm is extremely fierce. And they began to be swamped and in danger. Other scriptures talk about the danger of it. A fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. Matthew writes, a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being covered with waves. And they began to be swamped and to be dangerous. It was here. So it was fierce. And if these fishermen who were seasoned sailors were scared of their life, it would have been pretty bad. It makes you wonder, though, how, how come they didn't ask him to help them earlier? Isn't that the way we are? Don't we have trouble? We, we all have storms of life, and we try to deal with it ourselves as long as we can, right? We don't need to call on God yet, because I think I can deal with it. Perhaps that's what sailors were doing, disciples. Maybe they're thinking, we can handle this. Jesus is expecting us to handle it. He's sleeping. Let's don't wake him. Let's just deal with it. We can get across. I don't know their conversations. I just know they were panicking, and it became out of their control. With all their might, all their abilities, all their talents and skills, they could not save themselves. And finally, they call upon Jesus. Master, Master, we are perishing. So what did Jesus do? Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind in a surging way. Earlier, Jesus was an unclean spirit in chapter 4, verse 35. He also rebuked the fever, as we mentioned earlier, for Simon's mother-in-law. The rebuke recorded in Mark chapter 4, verse 39 was, Hush, be still. That's what Jesus said. That's how he rebuked the wind and the waves. So Jesus got woke up from his great nap, and there's a storm going on. I don't know how he slept through it, but he did. And he says, hush, be still, and what happened? Like that, stop. Do waves just stop like that? If a storm comes through, and it hits our little fire legs or whatever, and you see the water doing this, and the wind calms down, still happening. There's still waves. They're getting smaller and smaller and the wind's getting less and less. This happened like totally stopped. That would be crazy. It would be very strange. Obviously, they understood that was a miracle. That's why the response that they had. God in Jesus. Jesus is God. If Jesus is the creator, which he is, then why couldn't he just talk? He spoke existence. He spoke the earth into existence. He spoke trees into existence. Why can't he just, you know, he spoke rain into existence and speak all these things to Jesus? Why can't he with his words just say, stop? And it did. In Psalm 129, Ascribe to the Lord of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. It goes on to talk about his wondrous power over the earth. Our earth is 25,000 miles in circumference, 8,000 miles in diameter, and weighs approximately 6 sectillion tons, whatever that is. 
and it spins on its axis at a thousand miles an hour. It travels on its 150 million mile orbit around the sun at 1,000 miles per minute. Meantime, the sun and all that's around it is traveling around on its own orbit through the center of the Milky Way galaxy. I mentioned that before in another sermon one time. It's, it's, to me, it's mind-boggling. Right now, we are traveling in, on an axis of 1,000 miles per hour. Can you feel it? And not only are we doing this 1,000 miles an hour, we're doing this thing 1,000 miles per hour. That's, that's beyond this little brain. Jesus did that. That's the one who's in the boat. Is it any wonder sleeping? It's my creation. I'm not worried. Creator of the winds and seas, they obeyed him. Seas obey him. It was perfectly calm, it says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Perfectly calm. Remember, Luke says this is the exact truth. This is a made up story. So now, every molecule of water that's in a drop of water, which I don't know how much. I, I read that in a teaspoon of water, there are trillions of atoms. Trillions of atoms. So we talk about how great and how huge the universe is, and then you go to the little tiny atom and how complex amazing that is. And all those particles, all those atoms, everything obey the voice of Jesus like that. Psalm 89, 89 says, O Lord God of the host, who is like you, O mighty Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the swelling of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. That was written many years before Jesus did this. In Psalm 46, 1 through 3, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth could change, and though the mountains slip to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, who are we? We should be the people who take our refuge and strength in Jesus. So Jesus rebukes the storm, and then he rebukes the disciples in a gentle way. I don't think he said, where's your faith? I don't know the tone of his voice, but he said, you know, where was your faith? Do you not realize that God is in your boat? If God said, he said, we're going to get in this boat, we're going to go to the other side. God said, we're going to go to the other side. So are you going to get to the other side? You should say, yeah, I, God's here saying. We're, and, and I guess they didn't really understand it. Because their question was, who is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? And the, the storm that was mentioned in the Lord's Supper, at that point, the second storm, they said, you truly are son of God. So their faith grew as ours needs to grow.
All of us have different trials. All of us have different storms. There's an interesting scripture cross-reference in this, and that's in Mark. The same story told there. At the very beginning, it says that Jesus got in the boat with the disciples, and there were other boats with him. You know that? So we think of this story, it's just these guys out there with Jesus. No, there's other boats in this storm with them. It is an interesting thought. What were they thinking? What was, what was their panic like? We don't know that side of the story. But they also would have witnessed this miraculous halt to the storm. So there's multiple people on boats close around where Jesus was that saw what happened. That was just a little tidbit I thought was interesting. Mark brings out. So the men had panic, they had doubts, they had fears, even terror. They didn't have enough faith. They had some faith. They, they didn't ask Jesus to wake up. That shows faith. We got this terrible storm, ask Jesus or tell Jesus to wake up or shake him or whatever they did. Wake up! They had faith that he could do something and he did something. And yet Jesus used them for where is your faith? That's a good question for us. Where is our faith? This whole book of Luke so far is trying to tell us who Jesus is. How great he is. He's the son of God. He is God. He's a savior that was born. Where's your faith? Where's my faith? How many of you are having some kind of trial right now that seems overwhelmed or seems like it's surging? Maybe there's multiple fronts. Maybe more than one storm. Jesus says, where is your faith? Is God with us? Is God for us? Turn to Romans chapter 8. A very famous section of scripture. One of my favorites. I've heard it many times. In Romans 8, verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus, he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. In verse 37, that in all these things be overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. I am convinced neither death, nor life, nor angels, 
nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The disciples needed to learn that, and so do we. We need to understand God loves us so much. Not only did he give his life, he'll give us anything. He'll do whatever it takes. It may be that we have to go through a storm like these guys did. Jesus didn't not go out and form with them. On that other occasion, it was mentioned at the Lord's table. That time he sent them on their own. They were out there for hours. And he let them struggle for hours before he came walking on the water. And he intended to pass by them. He was going to let them keep struggling on that occasion. And then they saw him walking. It's a ghost, no. Is that you? Friends, we serve a Lord who is risen and he's no longer sleeping in the boat. He's always alert, always awake, and always all powerful. So, whatever we're going through, we need to call on him. Don't just use your own strength. Don't just use your own abilities because God loves us so much. He'll do whatever we need to get us through a storm and to get us successfully to heaven. These men were witnesses of the supernatural God who was in the boat with them. Their response was terror of him. They were frightened of him and his power, and they were amazed, awestruck, to the point where they were like, they just couldn't do anything. That kind of awestruckness of Jesus. What is your awestruckness of Jesus today? The disciples were to learn to have greater faith and trust in Jesus, and even in life and death situations. Peter wrote somewhere that, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I forgot to write that scripture. That's why I said it's in there somewhere. You can look it up. You know, Paul endured multiple dangerous and critical life-threatening situations in his lifetime. And towards the end of his life, he said this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It needs to be you. That needs to be me. A couple little statements I want to say before I, I close. Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. He meant to go together. Jesus is going with us to the other side. If you want to look at it in a spiritual sense, we're on this side of the shore. Some people are going to go on the other side where we are no longer walking this earth. And Jesus wants to go with us all the way across through all our storms. And at the end, we will say, you are the Son of God. Thank you for getting me through this and taking me home. He never promised that life would be smooth sailing. Another thing, God was in their boat. God is with us. In our boats. There it was literal. In our time it's literal and physical. You just don't see it. We should not try to deal with our storms. On our own. 
just so human and so natural for us to try to Jesus rebuked winds and the waves, but he also rebuked disciples for not trusting him. Nature obeys his words. Let us be like nature and listen to what he says. Faith that Jesus desires of us means do not panic and lose your hope. I think that's why he was talking to them. He rebuked them. You guys have panicked. Where's your faith in this? Do not panic. I am with you. I'm not going to ask you to don't panic because probably you have somewhere. There may be maybe times in your life you still panic. The, the encouragement is look to Jesus. He is God of all storms. We all have testing storms. We will probably not always do well at all times. Sometimes it will appear that we do not have enough faith. God will remain God. He will remain faithful. And he will always be ready to reach out and help us, like he did Peter and get him out of the waters. In that other story that I did not read. In James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Another thing to mention here is storms come on good men and women, not just unrighteous people. It's the righteous, however, who should be able to get to the storm in a victorious way with Jesus. Jesus is the Lord over the storm. He can stop the storm and in its tracks. I like that thought. Next time you're in a very tumultuous situation, maybe don't panic. Trust in Jesus and ask him to stop the storm. He can stop it. He may not, but he can. He has that ability. And as I mentioned before, Jesus is not sleeping anymore. He is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and He's at the right hand of God, and He's our Savior and our Lord. He's on our side. Where is your faith this evening? Is it strong or is it weak? Or how are you doing with the storms of your life? It's a very short scripture right there, and I chose not to deal with all the things in chapter 8 like some of the other guys have done. But I mean, it's Sunday night, right? You guys are ready for me to be quiet. So we'll stop with that. I'm not prepared to do these other stuff anyway. I just want to talk about the storm. All of us have had them. And we're going to have more. It's part of life. This evening, if there's anybody here that needs encouragement, prayers, maybe your faith is weak and you know it now, and, and you haven't treated God as God Almighty that he is. You forget who he is. It's in the boat with you. And he loves you so much. Read Romans 8. Look at the cross. He loves us so much. He's willing to do so many things for us. Just we trust. If you need prayers at church, let us know. Perhaps you're ready to put on Christ in baptism and have your sins washed away and become white as snow. 
you're ready to walk that new life and have your name written in heaven, ready to get to the other side of the shore. We're here to encourage you and help you with that as well. Let's stand together and sing. I love you all.